1: Hello, everyone. How are you all doing? Good to have you today. Hope you're having a great week. We do have a guest today somebody that has been a listener to the podcast. In fact, listened to Will Hess's story, and he could definitely relate to a lot of that, so he reached out and asked to be on the podcast, and he has a book about his story. We're going to hear about his story and what he went through. Let me read a little bit about his bio here. Alan Taylor is the author of I Am Not the King and founder, publisher at Crux Publications. A former newspaper editor and award-winning journalist, he has ghost written several books and makes his living as a freelance writer. From April through fall, he and his wife travel in a camper van between Texas and Pennsylvania. During the winter months, they park in Texas and live off the grid in a converted bus. Now, I read most of his book at this point, and it's really well written and sucks you right into the story he's a very talented writer but i will let him speak for himself so here is my conversation with alan taylor please welcome alan taylor to the show thanks for coming on the show today
2: well thank you for having me diana and uh really glad to be here
1: usually like to have you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and maybe something fun
2: okay well i make my living as a freelance writer. What I do, uh, I write for businesses, mostly online content. Of course, uh, I'm now an author, and I am a husband to a wonderful woman named Teresa. We have three adult grandchildren, uh, seven grandchildren. Two of them are adult, and I live in a van. Oh, you travel all over the place? (laughs) Well, yeah, mostly between Texas and Pennsylvania, Uh, mostly uh, April through November, and then in the winter months, I have a bus that I live in, uh, parked in, in Texas, where I'm at right now. So the, the decor behind me, is my, uh, my decoration in the bus. Um, and then when, when the weather, weather starts turning nice, we downsize getting the Chevy Express. It's got a bed in it. It's got a kitchen in it. And we take off and hit the road.
1: Wow. Yeah, You've seen some really nice places
2: we do we do um and and we catalog them on a uh, youtube channel that we uh that we write we go to small towns and 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 do their historic districts and talk about them and <laughs> and uh, so that's fun
1: yeah i love the travel my parents used to take us when we were kids every state in the union they told me except alaska and hawaii in a coachman trailer and yeah, those were good memories um, my husband and i we taking trips to uh, Europe and to Israel. And we can't really travel right now because he's sick. Um, Mm. Not COVID related, but it's a little, it's a little challenging because I want to get out there and see the world and explore. And, but we're working on that.
2: (laughs) Good. Well, if you've, uh, you've done some traveling, so that's great. You got a chance to go to Israel. That's something I have not done. Uh, So that's a, that's a big bonus. I know people who have, and and they always bring back great reports.
1: Oh, it's it's life-changing. You'll never read the Bible the same again. <laughs> I, I read that. the Bible passages, <laughs> and I've been to those places now. And so I can picture, you know, what it was like to be there, you know, being on the Sea of Galilee. And it's, it's amazing. So I, I recommend it for everybody if they can. If they can get over there. That's awesome. So we're gonna start the beginning at your story, your childhood. What was your childhood like growing up?
2: Well, it it was kind of a mix of, you know, early childhood. I remember being happy. I was a normal little boy doing normal little boy things. And uh I guess probably a pivotal year for me would would have been fifth grade. That was the year that we moved to Dallas. It was a sort of a life-changing event a lot of things going on at the time my dad was hospitalized he had been injured uh on the work on the job he hurt his back he had to have discs removed so he was out of work for a time and uh mom had to go and get a job to support the family And so that was uh her first time going to work so that left my sisters and I sort of latchkey I guess you could say Mm um we were um Raised by, partly by my great grandmother who kept us after school. You know, for the first time in my life, I came home from school. Mom wasn't there. And so, you know, I was 10 years old. So that was a big, big event for me. It was also a year that I was tagged as a gifted student. And then suddenly I had playmates. I had spent so much of my time early in childhood uh, playing alone. Oldest child, only boy. I played a lot by myself. Uh, I had a few friends here and there, but I was mostly sort of a little recluse. Uh, and then all of a sudden, we mm-hmm. moved to Dallas, had a, a lot of family here, cousins, and, and that I had met uh, two or three times over the course of my life, but now they're in my life every day. <laughs> and, and that was a big adjustment for me. Uh, then, you know, after a couple of years uh, being in Dallas, uh, I started seeing some changes in my dad. He grew angry. He took it out on the family. And I sort of, I became withdrawn mm-hmm. over time. So you can see, I started out great, happy family, happy childhood. And then sort of things just gradually uh, got dark.
1: Now you are definitely a smart kid. Did, did you like school?
2: I did. I did. I loved school. Uh, I can't think of a time when when I didn't like school Except maybe the last couple of years of high school when I was bored because there wasn't that much challenging me then. Mm -hmm. Um, But I excelled. I excelled at academic and I didn't have to try real hard to do it. You know, mom taught me how to read at the earliest age You know, because she was a house mom then. So she had the time to spend, taught me how to read. And so I entered kindergarten ahead of my class and it's just like that all the way through. So I just learned to like school. And nobody, as I got older, nobody at school was yelling at me, so. That's a plus. Um, yeah, <laughs> I enjoyed it.
1: And you had a, a difficult relationship with your dad. Tell us a little bit about that.
2: You know, dad, it took me a long time to learn uh, about the temperaments. Mm-hmm. Um, but dad and I have very different temperaments. And so he's very outgoing, outspoken kind of person. Even when he's happy, things are like that. He's just always talking. But there was a period where he was just angry and and I couldn't figure out why. I didn't know why, and and there was no one that I could talk to and ask about that. And so uh, he, but he took it out on the family. There was a lot of angry rants, and you know he wasn't physically abusive, but there were times when I thought he might cross over. Uh, he 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 was a rageaholic. Whatever he could rant about uh he could whatever (laughs) sometimes it was a big deal sometimes it was a a head-scratching deal you know why why are you upset about this but i was afraid of him for a long time you know growing up uh, you know he was just this guy that you know he's a small man but to a child i was afraid of him but he was toxic unpredictable and uh i just never knew what to expect from him good or bad and there were times when he could be real good fun loving we had Uh, our moment as a father son as a child but then he could fly off the handle and and ruin it in five seconds and you're just uh it's like a big bomb dropping down on your on your head Mm -hmm. and when you're 10 11 12 13 and you don't know what you did and you don't know how to ask or afraid to ask then it could really hurt you from the inside out
1: yeah i'm very thankful that i have a good relationship with my father and They were very strict when I grew up, but I can only remember five times that I actually got spankings, and those were from really serious offenses. (laughs) Well, my dad was always kind and, and loving. Yeah, listening to your story, it makes me really grateful, and it definitely shows that your words are so important. When you talk to a child or when you're dealing with children, that words do hurt and they damage for a long yeah. time. So
2: they can do a lot of damage. Yeah.
1: So how would you say verbal abuse leads to an unhealthy view of yourself or others? Yeah,
2: that's a that's a great question. It's easy to trivialize verbal abuse. You know, we all grew up, uh, you know, with that old phrase, you know, sticks and stones oh, yeah. can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's great if the person, you know, insulting you is somebody that you don't have to go home and spend the evening with yeah, the kid on the playground. You know, he's going to go home. You're not going to see him again for uh, another day, maybe another week when it's the person that you live with and the person you trust and someone that uh, you know is responsible for your well-being, then verbal abuse takes on an entirely different dimension. Physical abuse, sexual abuse, you know, those are deeper, probably more serious long-term repercussions. But verbal abuse can have a big impact. It can be It can be a form of spiritual abuse in a, in a religious or spiritual environment. But even outside of that, Uh, Being called names by your parent or inconsistent disciplinary measures, the drop of a hat over the smallest infractions, you know, once or twice here and there may not be a big deal, but when it's prolonged over a period of time, Mm -hmm. then, you know, children tend to internalize things and start to wonder, well, what's, you know, what's wrong with me? And so Mm -hmm. it it distorts your view of authority it distorts your, your view of relationships. And it can get to the point to where it could even distort your view of God. And I experienced all of that. So I had issues uh, with, you know, authority. Uh, issues with uh, particularly male authority uh, and figuring out how to have healthy relationship, male to male relationships, as well as male female relationships. What constitutes a healthy relationship? And if you've never experienced that, you know, then it's hard to know.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And so, uh, so verbal abuse can have a, a, a multiple dynamics to it. And, and I've heard people say, you know, that every healthy family looks the same, but uh, uh, every dysfunctional family uh, is dysfunctional in its own way.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: I think uh, Tolstoy said something similar to that. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. So, so in my situation, we had, you know, my father's verbal abuse, but then we had the religious legalism and the spiritual environment, that those things together really had me confused. Going into adulthood, uh, I found myself being angry, and mm. many times not even knowing why.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, I wanted to touch on your your writing. You started writing. What was the catalyst, would you say, for your writing?
2: Well, I, I would say if there was a catalyst, it, it would be a, a writing assignment in the fifth grade, where we had to write an autobiography. And I did that, you know, and I pulled up documents from newspapers, you know, like for my first birthday. And I talked to my parents about what happened when I was such and such age. And so I did the interviews and the research. I really enjoyed the process. I loved it. Um, and got good feedback on that from teachers. And, and I was always good at English language arts. And so I just fell in love with the writing process. And all the way through school, I enjoyed the writing of you know, essays and book reports, whatever. A lot of kids would, would be moan. Oh, I got to read this book or write this report on this. You know, I looked forward to it. Those are the things that I was good at. As an adult, I went to college. Then I discovered poetry. I wanted to write fiction. I wanted to be a fiction writer. It was one of my earliest ambitions uh, to be a novelist. But I couldn't figure out how to make money doing that. And so I ended up in other kind of jobs. And then ultimately after, I guess, maybe a period of 10 years doing other types of work and finally getting tired of <laughs> being a salesperson or being in retail or whatever, I decided to jump into journalism. So I started sending out resumes and I got, I got a job as a newspaper editor. And from there, uh, I was able to grow. A writing career, uh, and so started with a four-year stint as a newspaper editor, and then uh, I launched my freelance writing career when I uh, came back from Iraq. Uh, I spent a year there, so it was it's been a process, sort of a lifelong process, to get me to the point where I could earn a living doing something I was good at and something mm-hmm. I enjoy. Took a lot of thought on my part and thinking about how how do I get to where I want to go. And not having the skills, or having ever been taught how to do that, how to run a business, and how to do these things that are necessary, I had to learn a lot of it on my own.
1: Absolutely, well, that sounds like a neat, neat journey in your writing. My my sister's a a writer, and she started in grade school. It took yeah. her probably ten years to actually make a living off of it, um, And now she she makes a living off of her writing, so kind of neat
2: yeah i like to see people living out their dream for me when i became a christian i had to put the pen down a while focus on my relationship with christ i really needed to learn who i was in christ (laughs) and that took some time you know bible study prayer fellowship with other christians and then i was able to pick it up again later when my mind was in a different place and that's when i decided to go back you know try to pursue this journalism thing and this was right at the turn of the millennium. And so the internet was just barely 10 years old. Online journalism hadn't really kicked in yet. So newspapers were sort of at that place where they had to migrate online or die. This is at that point. And I got a job as a newspaper editor. We didn't even have a website, the company I was with at the time. They built one while I was there, I think toward the end of my four year stint there they built their first website. That's where I really learned to write fast, like the best four years of my life to that point in terms of uh, my career. And then I started my freelance writing business and and God has pretty much just kept me going. (laughs) Somehow And 15 years later, I've still got a business that uh, that is making me an income. So
1: yeah, I love the different creative outlets that people have. Mines, mines music, as we were talking about before the show. I want to get into your relationship with the Lord. What was your relationship with God when you were young? Like, what kind of church did you go to, and the environment there?
2: Yeah, well, we I grew up in a in a holiness. Pentecostal environment, uh, if you're familiar with that denominational Mm -hmm. mindset. So we had a lot of rules. No one talked about a relationship with God. I didn't hear that language growing up. It was Mm -hmm. not a relationship-based environment. Uh, It was King James only.
1: Mm -hmm. Um,
2: You're not saved if you don't speak in tongues. You know, there was a, a distorted view of of God in, in the sense that, you know, I was taught that Jesus was not God in the flesh, uh, and, uh, there was no Trinity, and so, but when I read the Bible, you know, later, as an adult, then I, I would say, well, I mean, the Bible clearly Clearly paints the picture of Jesus as the fullness of the Godhead. Mm -hmm. And so it it really confused me. So I I wouldn't say that I had a relationship with God. Uh, I had a distorted view of God based on the religious environment. Uh, But we would do things like children's church. And so we would sing hymns, mostly old hymns, and I would preach a sermon, but I would preach the same way that I saw the adults in my world preaching. And so it was it was no expository type sermon. Uh it was picking this verse and that verse, putting them together and and you know uh, coming up with uh some way to turn that into a you know this is how you ought to live type uh message. And so I had a I had a really legalistic mindset as a child because that's what I was taught. I had to overcome that when I became an adult. By that time it was internalized, and so. I had to overcome certain tendencies, but uh, I would not call anything I did as a child a relationship with God because we just didn't use that language.
1: Mm. Yeah, my husband, Brian, um, his brother is a Pentecostal apostolic preacher. And my husband lived with his brother for a year to get on his feet, escaping a Abusive relationship and jumped into another abusive relationship with his brother. Well, you already know. You know the men's men's not allowed to have beards and the Mm -hmm. guys aren't allowed to wear sweatpants. No television. The women's hair is up in a bun and pants on women. The whole the whole thing and all the doctrinal issues that go with that that you mentioned and brian said i don't believe any of this and at the same time living with his brother he saw all this stuff like you know they'd make racist jokes at the dinner table or they'd use the church expense account to take you know lavish dinners you know these fancy Mm -hmm. restaurants and yeah his brother didn't live didn't live a, a holy life treated his wife terribly and there was a lot of Uh, legalism so tell us about how you think doctrinal legalism contributes to an unhealthy home environment legalism
2: legalism puts you on edge uh, so that you're always you're always watching your behavior you're always like self-conscious you know which is the opposite of really what the bible teaches instead of being focused on self you know we should be focused on on others, you know, love your neighbor as you love yourself, Mm -hmm. but in a legalistic environment where you're, where you're just following rules or your, your behavior is, is used as a metric for your spirituality, then it sort of flips things around, uh, you know, and so you end up spending more time, you know, watching your own behavior and, and whatever you focus on that, (laughs) ironically, what mm-hmm. you focus on is like, oh, I'm not going to do that. You end up, that's exactly what you end up doing. So that's why you see a lot of these pastors, you know, they preach great sermons on on sexual sin or, mm-hmm. you know, condemning homosexuality. And then they get caught up in it. Yeah. You know, or, you know, or pornography or, you know, whatever. You know, it could be anything else, uh, any kind of sin. It could be gambling or, Whatever, whatever hot button they think they can push through their sermons, then they end mm-hmm. up being guilty of themselves. It's because they're so focused on this thing that spiritually they find offensive. Mm-hmm. But they are trying to fight that off in their flesh. And, and you can't win against sin <laughs> by using the tools of the flesh. Right. and that's what legalism does is it tries it tries to deal with sin in a man-centered human-centered way uh, but it never works it, it can only be dealt with by by christ himself at the cross and and legalism doesn't point you there it points you to your your behavior your sin your shame and your guilt and tries to encourage you to overcome it with with works with action with a, a change of behavior. So you're always wondering, you know, when is the boom going to fall? You mm-hmm. know, when, when is God, when is God going to smite me? Oh,
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> and you find yourself getting wrapped up in, you know, gotcha moments with other people, you know, if they catch you in a sin, well, okay. But you know, what about you? You know, you're not any better, you know? So, so it becomes this, uh, this verbal spiritual fist fight,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
2: and you know the Corinthians had that issue. You know, yes. Paul calls them out on that. Says, you know, the reason you guys are always at each other's throats is because, you know, you just don't have a, a healthy view of God. And, and there were other issues. Legalism really do, it distorts your view of reality, distorts your view mm-hmm. of God, distorts your view of yourself, distorts your view of of others, and your relationships. And that's why a lot of churches end up falling apart. Uh, you know these. Cult like environments where mm-hmm. um, authority, authority figures have a tight grip on people, then ultimately they end up falling apart because sin isn't dealt with in a healthy way, right. if it's dealt with at all.
1: Oh, it's dealt with. Uh, the preachers are sinless, and the ones in the congregation are all the little sinners, and that's how it yeah, was and, in my church. Yeah,
2: yeah, and, and there are churches that that is the view. Um, yeah, they. they the pastors and the elders are are there to help you be less sinful um, and you know supposedly more like them. But the truth is, we're all sinful. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the Bible says that pretty plain and clear. We're all we're all guilty. We all fall short. And. and in the environment that I grew up in in the holiness movement, it's actually taught that, that well, you, you can be sinless. You got to get the right attitude and you got to do all the right things and you can be sinless, mm-hmm. but I've never seen anyone do it. So <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> people are blind to their own shortcomings by nature. We are really, we have a blind spot. We don't want to see the ugly parts of ourselves, mm-hmm. but scripture encourages us. To look at the ugly parts of ourselves, not so that we can, uh, you know, brush them over or clean them up or do anything like that for us, but so that we can see this is what Christ died for. You
1: grace.
2: Know? Yeah, it should lead us to grace, and uh, when it doesn't, then uh, it's not leading us to where we where we ought to be. It's leading us in the opposite direction.
1: But tell us how you met the Lord. Jesus. It was kind of a strange and unfamiliar way. Is that right?
2: Yeah. Um, <laughs> I had a breakdown. Uh, I I was in college and uh, I had joined the army and, and earned educational benefits to go to school. And I went to school. Then those benefits ran out uh, going into my senior year of school. And I had I had made some bad decisions, so I didn't, uh, I had run a business for a while uh, to earn some extra income, and then that, uh, that gig ended, and so I had to find ways to support myself to complete my school, and then when my educational benefits ran out, here I was dealing with this Emotional anxiety, trying to measure up, you know, I could hear my dad telling me, well, you're not ever going to be worth anything, you know, and here I was mm. proving it because I was doing great in, in school, but financially I was not doing so well. And I, I had trouble finding work to, to work, you know, to, to complement my school. Uh, to fit within my, my class schedule. So all these things were coming down at at one time. At one point, I lived in my car for a week uh, Mm. because uh, I had skipped out on an apartment, you know, unable to pay the rent. But uh, here I was sitting in this uh, college class and it's a, it was a philosophy class. And I, I was really into philosophy in those days and studying Mm. whatever. Uh, But this atheist college professor started mocking Christianity. And I thought, well, Crazy, what, you know. This is unprofessional. What's this about? I wasn't a Christian. Wouldn't have, couldn't considered myself a Christian. But I ended up taking uh, an independent in that class, or, or an incomplete in that class, because I couldn't write. I couldn't focus to write my final paper. I had so many inner struggles emotionally. Here I was trying to figure out my life. What was I going to do after college? I had no plan. Finances uh, falling apart. Uh, I was an emotional wreck anyways. And so one day I, I finally got a job and I was working, but I had a car issue. Car wouldn't start and radiator issues. And here I am trying to figure out how am I going to pay for that, pay for my rent, pay for food. The only skill I had <laughs> was writing and I couldn't figure out how to make money at it. So I, I just broke down and I asked, Lord, you know, hey, God, if you're real, then show me a sign. And I was all alone in my apartment. No, but, you know, which wasn't unusual for me at the time, but as soon as I said that the spirit fell on me and I just started praising God
1: Mm.
2: and, uh, spontaneously, you know, sort of like it just overwhelmed me, Mm.
1: overcame
2: me. And I couldn't figure out how, why that was happening to me. I'm laying on my back on my bed, hands raised in the air. And I'm praising God, clapping my hands, shouting, you know, Hallelujah. And um,
1: this was know, not this. your your typical behavior, I assume.
2: This was not <laughs> my typical behavior. No, I uh, I would have normally been writing, which in those days I would spend you know ten to twelve hours a day writing. Uh, I was not like other twenty one, twenty two year old men, twenty five year old men uh, who'd be out chasing women or going to the bar, doing whatever, you know, out hiking trails and doing things like that. I was writing or I was reading philosophy probably or, or other fiction or something. Uh, but this event happened and it just changed my whole life, my demeanor. Uh, I wanted to know what happened and I had no words, no explanation for this event why this happened to me other than i had asked god to show himself and he did but then uh i couldn't figure out how it happened i'm laying on my back praising god and in my mind thinking well (laughs) why am i acting like this this is strange what's going on and uh so i started reading the bible uh instead of writing for 12 hours a day uh, i would read the bible and mm-hmm. trying to figure out what uh, what this God thing really was all about, um, and after a month or two of that, I figured I think I need to go find a church. It, it just came to me, you know the the Lord spoke, I guess, and said you need to go find a church. So I started I started looking for a church.
1: How in the world did you pick one?
2: You know, it was interesting. Yeah, I say it was a couple of weeks. Actually, it was a, it was about a week, uh, probably a week or two, maybe later when I got a knock on the door and it was and there's a pastor's a young family. I guess they were a little older than I was, probably in their 30s, maybe early 40s, but there was a uh a, a, a pastor, well dressed gentleman, his wife, and they had a little girl, she's probably three years old maybe, and they knocked on my door and invited me to their church. <laughs> They just happened to be meeting in a, in a hotel down the road. It was a new church, Oh wow. brand new church. I said, okay. So I thought, well, God must have sent them here. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I went to church with these, this couple. Things don't always turn out the way we think they will. Um, this church happened to actually be interesting. They were nice folks. There were some good things about them, but another couple and their friends showed up a couple of weeks later. Uh, and after attending for I don't know two or three weeks they quit coming I had befriended them and I was kind of disappointed I didn't see them at church I was kind of hoping that hey you know I got a new life now I understand what happened to me here I am I, I believe in Jesus now I want to live like it be surrounded by people who believe in Jesus and this young couple my age uh, and their friend quit coming so I went to their house after church and said, Hey, what's up? They told me the story about how they met with Pastor. He told the wife in that relationship that she was going to have to stop wearing makeup because that was not, that was not godly. It was not
1: yeah, right. I've heard that before.
2: And I thought, Oh, okay. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> i had heard the same stuff growing up. Okay. Uh, and they said they weren't going to go back to that church. The married gentleman said something interesting to me. I thought it was interesting at the time. He said, You know, if you feel like, that's where God wants you to be. We're not going to you know, try to persuade you to leave, but we're not going to go back to that church. And I thought, eh, well, that's interesting. So, you know, they had some grace. And so I kept going to that church. And then a week or two later, we're sitting in there, we're praising, you know, singing praise and, and, and worship songs. And, and the pastor says, uh, now he had already told me, like before service, that I shouldn't hang out with sinners. You know, and it was pretty clear he was talking about the, the couple that had left the church. Mm-hmm. And then uh, during the praise and worship, he he said, saints, pray in tongues. And everyone else around me started babbling. And I was like, oh my goodness, that ain't right. <laughs> and I knew in my experience a couple of weeks earlier, I had spoken in tongues, but that was not me. <laughs> that, was, that was the Holy Spirit overcoming me. And I knew the difference. I instinctively knew the difference. I, I left and I didn't go back. And uh, I went down to my friend's house that had been going to the same church. I said, I told them what happened. I said, yeah, I won't be going back to that church. So I started going to church with them. They had found another church. I went with them for oh, a couple of months until I could buy a car. And then and the church that they had gone to, it wasn't a bad church. It was a, it was a Nazarene church.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I just felt like it wasn't, wasn't for me. So when I got my vehicle, I prayed, asked the Lord to help me find a good church, and I went and visited a couple and found one that I thought worked for me. Was it? It gelled. It was a non-denominational church. Uh, the pastor I thought was uh, he was an older man, probably in his sixties at the time. He he preached on some things that that touched me and I stayed there a while, probably about a year or so, and made some friends, and it was just a completely different environment. I just got to experience God's grace. That's sort of how I found a church. I, I really had to follow, I, I was following, I believe I was following the Spirit's guide. kind of wayward, but it wasn't me just sitting down i didn't make a list of things i wanted to find in a church you know uh, uh the pros and the cons and oh i want a preacher who can do this and choir i didn't have a list you know because i didn't know
1: right what right. a good
2: church would be so i just had to listen and, and really use my discernment and figure it out
1: mm-hmm. so you found the lord in a miraculous way You had a rebellious period in your life.
2: Yeah, I guess you would call it that. You know, when I left home, I didn't want anything to do with God. So I didn't want anything to do with the church. I was on my own. I was free. I lived like I was free. Did what I wanted to do. I didn't have to answer to anyone. I wasn't married. I didn't, you know, I had parents, but I didn't live with my parents. And so... I could do what I wanted to do, and I did. If I felt like going somewhere and picking someone up or going out drinking or whatever, then that's what I did. Most of my time I spent in my apartment writing or reading, but there were times when yeah, I wanted to go out, and, uh, and I would go and I would figure out what I wanted to do for the night, and I would go out and exercise my, my freedom. Uh, what Mm -hmm. i thought was free (laughs) freedom but (laughs) um as the bible describes it was uh it was enslavement to sin but you learn as you go and what i learned i I think i had to go through that period of my life for a number of reasons no number one because i had to i had to learn what real really what sin is Mm -hmm. it's not when someone tells you what sin is it's one thing when you live sin then you recognize it when you see it. So I, oh, had yeah. to, I had to learn it. And sometimes sometimes it takes experience. But that experience also taught me what grace is. And when, when I did find Jesus and, and I learned that I don't have to perform for Jesus. Exactly. <laughs> Jesus, yeah, he does not expect me to be a marionette and lift my arm or this leg whenever someone pulls the string, uh, I have freedom in Christ. That doesn't mean I have the freedom to sin, but it doesn't mean I have the the freedom to sin without consequences.
1: Right.
2: You know, He gives us the freedom of choice, but He also gives us uh, immeasurable grace. and And I learned that. Uh, the proper way to live is not by a list of rules, you know, that, you know, thing, here's, here's the things you can do and here's the things you can't, but to live out of love for what Jesus has done for me and for us as his church. He died for us so that we can be free, so that we can have eternal joy not just in the future but in the here and now it's an ever-present joy and so if i live out of gratitude for that that is so much more rewarding than oh, yeah. just following <laughs> a list of regulations
1: mm, absolutely i wanted to talk about your service you were deployed in iraq for a year when you were newlywed. yeah <laughs> Wow, you must have some crazy stories there.
2: Yeah, I met my wife. I put an ad on a dating site. I joined a dating site and she she had a profile and I I sent her the first message, then she she responded. So, we met and you know, we dated for a year, asked her to marry me and and we got married 6 months later my National Guard unit was activated. I was a newspaper editor at the time, the Iraq war, and I found my National Guard unit getting activated around August of 2004. And so uh, we spent, we got married in November 2003. And so I had, I was spent the next four months all the way up until about Christmas preparing for our deployment. And so my first anniversary I was in training at Fort Hood in Texas. That was difficult. But then the second year I was in Iraq. And so I missed actually those first two anniversaries uh, with with my wife. But the last, you know, the last 15 years has been great. When I came back from that experience, uh, I resigned my commission. I was an officer and I got out of the guard and my wife had moved us to Pennsylvania. So we, when I went in the guard, I was in Texas. Now as a Pennsylvania resident, we lived there for 15 years and, you know, we raised, you know, grandchildren uh, and we've had a great life. (laughs) It's been wonderful just getting to know my wife and raising grandkids. God works in crazy ways. Uh, Mm. You know, I spent so much time uh, as a young man, avoiding relationships you know, I didn't want to be married. I didn't want children. I just wanted to be left alone and do my thing. And and then I found myself married uh, with three children and then grandchildren that lived more in my house than they did in their mother's. And <laughs> here I was uh, enjoying all of it. You know, because of uh, the grace of God. So.
1: <laughs> I don't want to forget to thank you for your service, of course. Well, thank you. I come from a military family, so I understand all the, the things you were saying. My my stepsister was actually deployed to Iraq. So, yeah, she could probably tell some stories as well. I would definitely yeah. appreciate the folks that put themselves in harm's way for us. So,
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, somebody's got to do it. It's a young man's job, really, so, you know, I'm too old for that now, but uh, I enjoyed my military service for the most part. I liked the three years I spent on active duty as, a, as an enlisted man in the 80s. Uh, that was peacetime. Yeah, I had some good times in the Guard, but I learned I really wasn't cut out. I I joined the Guard after a 10-year hiatus from the military, so I got out at active duty in '87. You know, went to college, went and did some career things. And then in 97, I joined the Guard because I had remembered how I enjoyed the military, uh, certain aspects of the military. And so I thought, okay, I could do it part time. And, but I discovered that I really, at that stage in my life, the Guard was really not my cup of tea. It was not, uh, Uh, what I was cut out for. I didn't really, (laughs) I learned that there were certain things I couldn't support. It just wasn't for me. So I got out. I wanted to focus on the family, my walk with the Lord. And, and I'm glad that I made that decision. I don't regret joining uh, because I learned uh, uh, other great lessons. It's not for everybody. And so I think it's appropriate to uh, to to thank people for their service because not everyone is a willing to do it, and not everyone is cut out to do it. So
1: I don't think I would have made it in the military. <laughs> not very good at push ups or pull ups or uh, <laughs> charging into danger. I don't know some some stories in your book. Uh, you almost got yourself killed.
2: <laughs> yeah, a couple of times.
1: Wow. <laughs> Yeah, you guys yeah. definitely have to read the book to hear hear all of his stories, for sure.
2: Yeah, there were a couple of close brushes with death. Uh, <laughs> one of them self-inflicted, and one of them was just, what was that?
1: <laughs> that happens for sure. I want to swing back to something really important about your story. We were talking about your um, your dad and your relationship that was pretty rocky. Did you ever forgive your dad or how did you heal from everything that happened in your childhood and growing up and, and all that? Well, it takes a lot
2: of prayer and and really seeking God. I had to really focus on, instead of focusing on me and my pain or whatever, my feelings, I tried to focus more on what God wants, the heart of God. And How do you know that? I studied the Bible. I spent a lot of time studying the Bible, reading the Bible, and really trying to understand who God is by reading the letters in the New Testament and and the Old Testament, but reading straight through, uh, like a story, instead of just picking Bible verses here and there. Right. For instance, I would read the book of Ephesians, okay, and try to figure out what was the author trying to say
1: mm-hmm.
2: about anything, you know, what's this book about, what's this letter about, who wrote it, and why, and when I did that with each of the books, I, I figured out that they all have themes, and, and I wasn't wasn't told this growing up, so no, no one told me that, you know, the book of Galatians is about legalism. Yeah, I had to figure that out reading it. And you get when you when I did this, I figured out that God's heart is wrapped up in those scriptures. This is what God sees. You know, when I read the Book of Ephesians, you know, God sees the church as pure as Christ, and it really gave me an entirely different view of reality than what I had grown up with. And so, so I had had to do that. I had to go through that process of reading the Bible, studying the Bible, really trying to understand what God is saying through the bible and i had to pray i had to pray about well you know why do i feel this way you know about my father i know he did some bad things i know he did some things said some things but shouldn't i be over that and what i learned was hard to get past a feeling you know because it's so real
1: Mm, yes
2: but God doesn't ask us to ditch our feeling. He doesn't ask us to to act like they aren't there.
1: Amen.
2: He just asks us to have a forgiving heart, to, yeah, experience the pain, experience the anger, experience these events that happened. But at the end of the day, God said to me, (laughs) I died for you, you are my son. I forgive your sins. Now you forgive your father and it took a while for that to sink in, uh, but eventually it did and 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 forgiveness isn't necessarily a once and done deal, yeah, found myself getting angry at various times and just revisiting these past hurts and i'd have to re-forgive things that i'd already forgiven my father for i had to re-forgive again because the you know the memory of it came back to me or, or a feeling came back to me certain events or encounters with other people might trigger a memory yeah. mm-hmm. and then you have to you have to pray about it again and and forgive all over again so, so it's a process and but ultimately um, it came down to a situation that that my wife and I went through with a member of her family uh, that was a prolonged uh, situation, uh, several years, and I realized that, you know, people are not perfect. No one is perfect,
1: uh,
2: but God puts us in certain people's lives for a reason, and so, you know, We don't have to know the reason, but teaches us lessons. Sometimes they're hard lessons, but I ultimately learned how to forgive my father by seeing the imperfections (laughs) in my wife's mom. And uh, so it was, it was ridiculous and absurd. And I never want to live through that again, but Mm -hmm. I learned that, you know, it wasn't about me. It wasn't about me. And, and nothing that my father ever did to me was about me either. And mm-hmm. once, once I learned that that he has flaws, I have flaws. And sometimes I see myself and, you know, I see him in me and, and I just realized that, uh, you know, God is so much bigger than our imaginations and if he can forgive me. Then you know, I can forgive my father. So, Uh, It was a a long process, but uh, ultimately, I decided that I would be better off if I just dropped it, let it go, and loved my father um, the way that God loves me,
1: Yeah.
2: you know, without condition.
1: You guys are still, you guys are in a good relationship now?
2: Yeah, yeah, we, you know, we sit and talk, we laugh, and uh, we have a great relationship. He's mellowed out a lot, I've mellowed out a lot and we talk, I talk with my mom, and she's at a different place in her life, and so we can talk about things, and she likes to talk about theology, and we can talk about, you know, the Bible and different views, and uh, we don't agree on everything, but we love each other. I know she loves me. I love her, and I love my dad, and uh, you have to accept people where they are, (laughs) and sometimes children are are more mature than their parent for whatever reason, but they're still your parent. One of God's big commandments is, you know, to honor your parent. It doesn't say you have to like them all the time. It just says to honor them. Right. <laughs> and, and there are many ways to honor them. It's not not just how you treat them when you're with them, but it's also how you behave and carry yourself out in public and and you're because you're representing your your family you're representing your name uh you're also representing god so honoring your parents is a is a multi-dimensioned thing but it's serious to god and i and i've had to think that through in various ways uh what it means to to honor my parents and I just hope I can do that for the rest of my life. Well, I'm
1: so glad that, that we talked about forgiveness because a lot of people I know listening struggle with that. And you mentioned triggers. You know, my abuser was not my father or my mother, but my ex-husband. And and yeah, I had forgiven him, you know, back when I divorced him, but there were definitely things that would come up that would trigger. And I... Definitely can relate to what you say that you have to choose to forgive more than once when those things happen because it's a journey. Yes. Yeah. All those things that happen to us, they're not going to go away overnight. But it sounds like time puts a little balm on certain things. You guys can sit and talk about things as an adult, and you understand, looking back, what happened. Maybe you have some Mm -hmm. hindsight, and you've processed some things. So, yeah, I so appreciate that.
2: Yeah, I love my dad because, you know, he's not just my father, but he's he's made in the image of God. Yes. For whatever reason, you know, he grew up in the same uh, religious environment that I grew up in, in an earlier time. And so... I had to think it through and say, you know, maybe there was a lot of that, that he could not overcome. Uh, he grew up in a, a Pentecostal holiness environment. There were clearly defined gender roles
1: yeah.
2: and, you know, I was, I grew up in the seventies where those were changing, you <laughs> yes. know, gender roles were changing, you know, women were going to work and, you know, the whole world that my father knew was, was changing. Right before his very eyes, and I don't, I don't think he dealt with that effectively for whatever reason. But I just had to, I had to accept him the way he is. That was a hard thing to do. But once I could wrap my head around all of the factors that you know, might have made him who he is, then I could do that much more easily. But uh, I had to, I had to really get it through in my head just the way. And I, and I think everyone works through these issues differently, uh, but for me, I had to, I had to intellectualize it uh, to some degree and try to understand it from an anthropological point of view. And it's just the way my mind works. And I did that and thought it through sociologically and anthropologically and spiritually. And uh, once I put all of that together. Eh, it made sense to me to accept my father the way he is, forgive him for his shortcomings, and, you know, ask God to forgive me for mine, because some of the pain that I carried for many years uh, wasn't really what my father did to me. It was, uh, it was how I felt about my father and how i felt about my upbringing and how i felt about my mom and if you stripped away what was done to me i don't know if i would have had different feelings i just don't know because in some sense those feelings were based on on the upbringing but then wasn't interested in god so how much of that, it all meshes together. There, there are certain realities we can't understand because mm-hmm. we haven't lived them. <laughs> right. And exactly. so, so it, it just requires it requires some real spiritual work to, to really understand uh, abuse, um, whether it's verbal, physical, spiritual, sexual, uh, and why it happens. But at the end of the day, I had to learn, and, and the book of Romans helped me out, You know, the whole human race is broken. Yes, my favorite
1: book, by the way.
2: (laughs) Yeah, is it? Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. Uh, Romans eight just blew my mind when I read um, that chapter. Uh, it, It that and the book of Ephesians. Uh, it, it just blew me away and I'm like what do you mean there's nothing can separate us from the love of God uh,
1: amen yeah. you know I had
2: never heard that <laughs> uh, yeah. and so you know there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus well you know, am I in Christ Jesus well yeah yes. so I had to internalize uh, that message and Romans 8 helped a lot I spent a lot of time in in Romans 8 <laughs>
1: If I were to memorize any book, it would be that one. It's just so rich, so rich, full of wonderful truths, as you just mentioned. And I read it over and over again. Yeah. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation. And I know we've only talked for, uh, for an hour and we've only touched lightly on your story and what you went through and your process of healing. But, Um, We definitely want to know how to get a hold of your book because you've got some some great writing in that book and even more stories to tell us. So tell them how to get your book. Well,
2: my author website is authorallentaylor.com and Alan is spelled A-L-L-E-N. So you can find you can find a link to my book uh, there on that website. You can also pick it up at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Kobo, Apple. It's available in digital, uh, both Kindle and EPUB, as well as in print. And so anywhere books are sold, you should be able to grab a copy. If it's not on the shelves, local bookstore, you can say, hey, I'm looking for this book, I Am Not the King by Alan Taylor. They should be able to look it up in the database and order it for you. But you can always uh, reach out to me or go visit Amazon or Barnes and Noble and pick it up there and you can find me on twitter at alan underscore taylor
1: someone good to follow on twitter for a change well
2: yeah if you can get past the cryptocurrency you know stuff because i talk about that too (laughs) and some people ask me well why did i call it that and i said well because i discovered who the true king is and and i am not him
1: (laughs) (laughs) me neither (laughs) amen well, thanks so much for taking the time to come and talk to us today about your your story and your book, and Lord bless you and your wife there. Thank you.
2: Thank you very much.
0: Thank you for listening to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast. If this episode has been helpful to you, please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. You can connect with us at dswministries.org, where you'll find our blog along with our Facebook Twitter and our YouTube channel links. Hope to see you next week!